The following program was made possible by the generosity of those who have determined to hold fast to the true Roman Catholic religion, as expounded by the Roman Catholic Church before the disasters of Vatican II and the so-called New Mass. Hello and welcome to another live edition of What Catholics Believe. I'm your host, Thomas Nagley, and with me tonight is, of course, Father William Jenkins. He is a traditional Catholic priest. He's a member of the Society of St. Pius V, and he's also the pastor of Immaculate Conception Church right here in Norwood, Ohio. Hello, Father. How are you? Very fine, Tom. Thank you. How are you doing? Great, Father. Great to be here. Yeah, it's good to see you. Yep, you too. We uh, have some uh, bit of big news lately, Father, uh, that... Uh, we wanted to discuss on the show tonight, and that would, of course, be uh, Francis's recent motto proprio, uh, which he titled Traditiones Custodes, or Guardians of Tradition. Um, seems a rather uh, ironic or perhaps insulting title, as he does not uh, seem to guard much tradition here. And in fact, Father, with this motto proprio, he uh, seems to uh, severely restrict the uh, celebration of the so-called extraordinary form of the uh, traditional Latin Mass that uh, that Benedict uh, apparently defended with his Simorum Pontific Pontificum. And uh, so there's been a lot of reaction to this lately, Father, and uh, of course all of, our, all of our viewers are very anxious to hear your thoughts on this uh, Medo Proprio of Francis. So could I get your reaction to this, Father? <clears throat> That's a pretty broad question, Tom. But you certainly can, okay. <laughs> you know, certainly may. Uh, people have been asking, you know, and uh, not only have been Sending me messages, but uh, accosting me as I've traveled to missions this past weekend, and uh, people are reacting in various ways. Uh, you know, talking about my reaction. Well, uh, some people are very concerned. Uh, some are very hurt. Others very offended, um, and uh, others are very, very worried. Uh, oddly enough, um, but uh, this was utterly to be expected. In fact, the surprising thing is that it took this long because uh, Francis himself was put in place by the modernists to accomplish precisely this. Uh, you know, people forget, or perhaps they never knew because they're too young to have any memory of this uh, uh, promulgation, so-called, of the new missile, the new mass of, John, of Paul VI, right? Um, when that uh, finally was uh, enacted into, into law, so to speak, <laughs> and I, I put uh, quotation marks around it, in April of 1970, um, there, there started a war against the traditional mass. Um, so uh, those who were ordained, as I was, uh, uh, subsequent to that, uh, found that the traditional Mass had been banned, virtually everywhere. Um, and so when we were ordained uh, by Monsieur Lefebvre uh, in 1978, I, I know that our, uh, our priests, our, our class of priests, went out into the world and found that uh, essentially only the aged priests in nursing homes could uh, get permission to offer the traditional Latin Mass, the true Roman Rite of Mass, and then with no congregation present, you know, the, the, the effort was very clear. Uh, the intention was to destroy the Mass entirely, to annihilate the traditional Mass, to obliterate it, to wipe it from the face of the earth, even the very memory of it, to make it go away. And they wanted to completely replace it with the Novus Ordo. And uh, so that, that's an, very important for us to recollect that there, the modernist's original intention in producing this new order, uh, this Novus Ordo Mise, uh, the new order of Mass, as they called it, was not to have it coexist with the traditional Mass, but to completely annihilate the traditional Mass and take its place. Um, sort of like murdering uh, your mother and, and then having an imposter take her place. Something totally different totally alien. <laughs> and um, the, the 
The situation changed, really, only after Archbishop Lefebvre consecrated bishops in 1988. <clears throat> and then uh, John Paul II said, well, we have to uh, respond to that and have to um, begin to make the, well, they, want, they wound up making the 1962 Missal of uh, John XXIII available. But even then, it was very restricted, extremely restricted. And um, there had been some lifting of restrictions in 1984, uh, but in 1988, with uh, uh, Ecclesia Dei Commission, um, and some priests and seminarians leaving the Society of St. Pius X and going to the Vatican saying, we want to live up to the agreement that Archbishop Lefebvre signed, but which he rejected, which he repudiated. And that's where the Fraternity of St. Peter came from. Um, so then they began to have a certain latitude, okay? Within the, within the dioceses, the bishops still had a, a enormous control and re stranglehold on the, on the traditional Mass. Um, I will call it the next 1962, okay, Mass. Um, but the, uh, the fraternity of St. Peter had, uh, you know, they, they had latitude to train uh, clergymen and to uh, raise them and ordain them to offer the traditional Mass, the 1962 Mass. But um, even then, there were requirements that they were expected to can celebrate with the, uh, with the local bishop. Uh, especially, I think, there was singled out the Chrism Mass on Holy Thursday and so on. Uh, I don't think that was ever actually enforced. There were moments in the history of the fraternity of St. Peter when, uh, yes, there was an effort to... Um, oh, uh, uh, Father Bissig was replaced at one time. Um, and th there were shows of, uh, of authority being made to rein them in and to, uh, again, uh, impose requirements on them. But I don't know that any of that actually uh, was, they followed through on any of that. I, don't, I just don't know. But in any case, um, the fact is that um, in 19... Uh, uh, what was it? Um, in the year 2007, I believe it was, uh, was it uh, Benedict uh, with his Simarum Pontificum gave uh, increased latitude for the use of the uh, 1962 Missal. Okay. And um, now Benedict, um, so many years later, wanted to determine what became of that. Thirteen years later, Benedict wanted to determine what the bishops, his bishops, thought of the use of the 1962 Latin Missal had done. And uh, the reports he got back, um, basically, well, you get the impression they horrified him <clears throat> because um, the, the people were not finding their way into the Novus Ordo Mass. The original intention was, uh, when Archbishop Lefebvre consecrated bishops, the original intention of the modernists was to make the 1962 Latin Mass available to prevent people from leaving them <clears throat> and keeping them in the Novus Ordo fold by telling them or, or convincing them that they could, they could practice the traditional faith within the Novus Ordo. And, uh, but the idea, the intention was, clearly, as Francis himself says, the intention was to use this as a kind of tactic in order to basically usher people into the Novus Ordo. <clears throat> so the concession was granted to use the 1962 uh, missile in order to prevent people from leaving and to still have an influence to try to bring them into the Novus Ordo. They'd have to, the original requirement, by the way, um, for people to attend was that they recognized that the new order of mass, so-called, was in fact Catholic and perfectly valid and uh, everybody's Catholic as the uh, Missal of St. Pius V. Uh, again, I don't know if that was ever enforced, that they had to sign anything to that effect or raise their right hand and, you know, testify that they believe that. But uh, by the time it rolled around to Francis sending out his questionnaire to the bishops, uh, just in the last few months, uh, it was clear that the purpose of the modernists 
uh, was not only not being accomplished, that is, people were not being novicerized <laughs> through uh, uh, being enticed by the carrot of the 1962 missile, but quite the contrary, that people were finding in the 1962 Latin Mass their faith. Uh, they found that um, they they found what they didn't find in the Novus Ordo. They found solemnity. They found reverence. They actually found the expressions of faith. Um, that the Mass really is the unbloody sacrifice of Calvary. It's not just a party, uh, which the Church throws for her children. Like, um, and um, so those who still have the, the old faith, the traditional faith, even after all these years, uh, gravitated toward the traditional Latin Mass. Why? Because they found that it actually expressed their faith. And the Novus Ordo really did not. It was very defective, at, lay, at least. This was what the bishops were evidently reporting to Francis, that more and more people, and especially young people, were gravitating toward the traditional Latin Mass, at least the 1962 John XXIII version. <clears throat> and uh, so when Francis uh, saw this, he took this as though it was uh, an attack on the unity of, uh, well, what he calls the unity of the church. Um, which is kind of interesting that he sees it that way because nothing has destroyed, the, has attacked the unity of the church as has the Novus Ordo and his Vatican too. But uh, Francis uh, therefore launched <clears throat> this uh, nuclear war. Well, I can't say that exactly. He's actually just trying to clamp down with the same controls that originally were put in place. In other words, as I say, before 1988, before 1984, um, the use of the even the, the 1962 Latin Mass was very, very strictly controlled, um, by or tyrannically controlled, right? because it was marked for death. And uh, Francis now wants to reinstitute those controls. So it's going back to the original modernist um, offensive against the traditional mass, any trace of it. Uh, when you read the letter that he sent to the Novus Ordo bishops, you find uh, that he he's kind of paralleling, he pretends to parallel what Benedict did in 2007 by sending out the regulations, but also by uh, sending a letter explaining his motives, okay? That's what he says at the very beginning. By the way, uh, as you pointed out, Traditionis Custodes is a kind of a mockery. Well, it is a mockery of the whole idea, right? It, the official translation, uh, Traditionis Custodes, is guardians of the tradition, not just guardians of tradition. But the official English translation gives us guardians of the tradition, okay? Um, he says he, he's going to explain his motives, and he, he says that essentially they're the same motives that prompted, he calls him St. John Paul II and Benedict XVI, to allow the use of the Roman Missal of 62. He said, well, to foster healing, to reunite the church. That's, that right there is a very strange thing. Anybody who thinks like a Catholic reads that that uh, first paragraph of Francis's letter and says, this doesn't sound like Catholic thinking to me because Francis is pretending that the, uh, the, the church um, has been uh, broken, as it were, that the unity of the church has been broken. Um, and he wants to restore the unity of the church. That's what he says in this official translation. By healing the schism with the movement of Monsignor Lefebvre, he said the idea was to restore the unity of the church. Well, the Catholic Church cannot lose its unity. I mean, this is its, uh, it is one holy Catholic and apostolic, right? That's the first of the four marks of the church. So this idea that by... Uh, you know, schism or heresy or whatever else, 
the church is losing her unity simply is not the case. There's still one holy Catholic and apostolic church. <clears throat> uh, regardless of how many heretics or schismatics break off and go their way. So this whole idea, again, it, it falls into the modernist mindset of you, you have the communion, but there's partial communion. Mm -hmm. You're more or less in communion with the church. You know? And uh, that's not a Catholic idea at all. But throughout this letter, I mean, Francis reflects that modernist thinking uh, that is really at the root of the whole problem. He says it was not under thought that they would set up, when, when the permission was given to use the 1962 Latin Missal, there was no thought that this would create kind of a parallel to the Novus Ordo. Right? Um, and that was not foreseen, not, he says, not foreseeable in 1988. Um, but he said uh, that Benedict um, actually referred to the 1962 Latin Missal as the extraordinary expression of the same lex orandi, that's the law of believing, the same lex orandi, and therefore Benedict gave it a more, quote, more ample possibility for the use, uh, for use of the people, of this 1962 Latin Missal. So, uh, but notice that Benedict said it was an extraordinary expression of the same law of praying, or lex orandi. Francis is going to change that. He's going to deny that, actually, and subvert it. Um, so, he goes on to say that uh, the Missal of Paul VI, uh, which took force in 1970, is the ordinary expression of this lex orandi of the Catholic Church, of the Latin Rite, the ordinary expression, but that the Missal of uh, St. Pius V, revised by John XXIII in 1962, was now the extraordinary expression of the same Lex Orandi. It's interesting, Benedict also pointed out, that the, uh, this Missal of St. Pius V, revised by John XXIII in 1962, was never abrogated. Despite all of the efforts that were made to crush it, to annihilate it, to extirpate it, to obliterate it, he admits here, it was never abrogated as the extraordinary form of the liturgy of the church. So he's actually pointing out that Paul VI did not ban it. Um, uh, in fact, right? So the even in introducing this, his new rite of, uh, his new liturgy, um, uh, Paul VI did not ban the, the 1962, or the traditional Mass, I'll call it here. Um, so um, that, that has given great hope now, that even the fact that Francis acknowledges that, and that Benedict acknowledges that, and that has given great hope to people who are saying, oh, it's never been abrogated. So you see, we still have hope going forward, right? But read on. I mean, what is Francis saying here? He's saying that this is really the ultimate objective is to abrogate it by making it go away, by having everyone shepherded into the Novus Ordo. So anyway, I'm just uh, kind of paraphrasing Francis's letter here. And he says that we have, we, we have the intention now to recover the unity of an ecclesial body with diverse liturgical sensibilities. But, he says, that was exploited uh, in such a way that wi widened the gaps, reinforced the divergencies, and encouraged dis disagreements. As though, uh, he said, that uh, there arose from this permission to use the 1962 Latin Mass divisions within the Church of those who began to question not only the new the liturgical reform of Paul VI, but even Vatican II itself. And uh, the fact that he acknowledges this, okay, that adherence to the traditional Mass somehow is found to be at variance and encourage at, uh, to one to be at variance with Vatican II and the new Mass is actually a rather striking admission because it's true, of course, because the new Mass and the traditional Mass were not made to coexist, and they do not express the same faith. Francis is going to say as much 
writing his letter here. He said, people uh, attending the traditional Mass have, have begun to doubt even the Catholicity of the, of the new Mass, and even the Catholicity of, the, uh, of Vatican II, such that he says uh, that there are some who even are starting to invoke what is called the true Church, as opposed to uh, the new order. Okay? And uh, so Francis is recognizing a real problem. It's a real problem that the Novus Ordo, the new order, has. And that is that as long as the traditional Mass is permitted, it is going to expose the Novus Ordo for what it is, as a new religion, and uh, the new religion of a new church, of a new faith, right? Modernism. That's why he says, in defense of the unity of the body of Christ, I am constrained to revoke the faculty granted by my predecessors. So he, it's as though he has no choice to do so. And, and the reason why he has to do so is because of those traditionalists, those, those who are going to the traditional liturgy, who are actually making it a divisive point. But they're not making a division, they're discovering the division that is there between the modernists and Catholicism. They're discovering the division that is there between the traditional Catholic faith and modernism. They're just discovering that now. And um, so Francis, in a sense, is, is actually acknowledging this diversion here. But of course, it's sort of like blaming um, the domestic terrorists as though these traditional Catholics, or would-be traditional Catholics, are domestic terrorists within the church, stirring up and destroying unity and leading some kind of insurrection, you know. Uh, this is how the modernists look at it. This is how the leftists look at it. It's all their fault, right? So he says, I take the firm decision to abrogate all the norms, instructions, permissions, and customs that precede the present motu proprio. The motu proprio actually is an apostolic letter that he issued motu proprio, meaning by his own personal initiative. I declare that the liturgical books promulgated by the saintly pontiffs, Paul VI and John Paul II, in conformity with the decrees of Vatican Council II, constitute the unique expression of the Lex Orandi of the Roman Rite. You have to look at that very carefully, what he says there. Because whereas he said, Benedict said that the the 1962 Missal constituted the extraordinary expression of the Lex Orandi, of the Roman Rite. He says no more. He says, now the liturgical books coming out of Vatican II, Paul VI and John Paul II, constitute the unique expression of the Lex Orandi, of the Roman Rite. So there's not even an ex extraordinary expression of that. In other words, the 1962 Missal, or what we might, he likes to refer to as the Missal of Pius V, revised by John XXIII, no longer expresses the Lex Orandi, the law of praying of the Roman Rite. Now, how you couldn't find a more explicit and a more damaging way to express what he says here as the modernist in chief that he's actually repudiating this, the traditional mass, that it no longer is an expression of the Lex Orandi of the Catholic Church. And uh, in what, he, what he's actually doing, by the way, uh, Michael Matt is the only one I've seen so far who's actually picked up on the significance of that statement. But even he, I think, is, is not reading it quite far enough and deeply enough, because if you, if you read that statement of uh, Francis and you think about it, you find he's actually saying that what Cardinal Ottaviani wrote in 1969 in his critique of the New Order of Mass was absolutely true. That Francis sees now that the Lex Arandi, the law of praying of the New Order Mass, is not the same as the Lex Arandi, the law of praying of the traditional Mass. He's cut that off now. And um, so Cardinal Ottaviani said exactly that, actually. Back in 1969, he warned before 
it was promulgated that this was the case. And so here's Francis now, in the year 2021, essentially acknowledging that Cardinal Ottaviani was absolutely right in his assessment of the new right as being a new form of worship that is not Catholic. Mm-hmm. And uh, have you read that? You've read the Ottavian yes, Intervention. Well, I'd, I'd like to read some sections from that. Also, to point out the significance of what Francis is saying here. Mm-hmm. Father, just real quick, if he, if he is uh, saying that this, this uh, even the so-called traditional Mass is the... Uh, is not uh, not not, a, a, not one of the ex- valid expressions of the Lex Rondi. Does that mean that he is effectively banning the traditional Latin Mass or, or even this 1962 Latin Mass if he's saying that it's not well, even Catholic? The, <clears throat> that brings us to the actual prescriptions, the actual articles of his uh, of his motu proprio. This is a letter that he accompanied the motu proprio, which gives his motivations. And, but when you look at the actual articles that he's put into effect, um, that, that really is an answer to your question, but it's a strange answer. The question is good. The answer is strange. Because even though he says that the new liturgy of Paul VI is the unique expression of the Lex Arandi, the law of praying, um, he still says he's willing to allow the bishops to basically tolerate, right. tolerate the, uh, the 1962 missile so when, what, they chose, when they choose to do so. Why not just come out and ban it, <laughs> ban it altogether then? If it, no longer, if it no longer constitutes a legitimate expression of the Lex Arandi, yeah. of the Roman Rite, then yes, that would be the logical, intelligent, rational uh, thing to do. But you see, we're not talking about logic here. <clears throat> we're talking about warfare. We're talking about tactics and warfare of modernism against the traditional Catholic faith here. And so he, he's going to be careful how he's going to tread. He's going to shift it onto the bishops and let them take care of this in their own way. Okay? Um, and um, which is kind of abdicating. He's laying down these rules here, as we're going to see in a second, exactly what those rules are. And why these various 1962 Latin mass groups around the world are in a, basically in a state of panic right now. Right? Um, but why real traditional Catholics who have not compromised, who have not agreed that the traditional Catholic mass is a privilege, but a right that we have, and therefore they can't abrogate it. Nobody has the power to take it away. Right? I mean, the problem with all of these, these uh, Latin mass groups around the world is that they've sought permission to use the traditional mass, to use the pre-Paul VI uh, liturgy in the Roman Rite, as though they did not have the right to have it, as though it was only a privilege that could be given to them. Um, and as soon as they acknowledge that it's only a privilege, then they acknowledge that they have a right to take it away, too. They've already acknowledged that. They have the right to take it away. And uh, the way I put it in, in a sermon recently is this. Uh, suppose the, uh, the President of the United States, whoever he may be, or have been, whenever, right, at any time would send a, a, a letter to you, Tom Nagley, and say, Dear Mr. Nagley, congratulations. I have just signed an executive order granting you the privilege of free, free speech. Suppose the Congress of the United States got together and actually voted to allow the American citizens to have the privilege of freedom of speech. Suppose the Supreme Court got together and unanimously voted to allow us as Americans to have the privilege of freedom of speech. Would you want the address of who you were to write to to thank them for that privilege? No. Why? Why would you? Would you accept that as a privilege? Why not? Because those rights are God-given. We don't need the, Those are rights. Those aren't privileges. But if you acknowledge that it's a privilege, and you write to them and say, Oh, thank you for giving me this privilege. I'm so grateful to you for bestowing this privilege upon me. What have you just acknowledged? They can take it away. They can revoke it. Yeah, they can give it, and they can take it away, right? And uh, you've actually not only renounced your right, you have betrayed your rights. And same it is with the new, with the new liturgy and the traditional liturgy. 
mm-hmm. by ad- adopting the new liturgy okay. and uh, then accepting the the uh, privilege uh, of using the 1962 missile. All of these groups have essentially acknowledged that they have to have a privilege given to them to use it, and that privilege can be revoked at any time, just as Francis is doing right now. Father, not, not to jump ahead of ourselves, but is this not what the SSPX has said? And in, in one of their um, responses that they put out to this motu proprio, they, they even they, uh, referenced the title and, and said that it, there was, it could have been a, a hopeful title, this uh, Guardians of the Tradition, that, uh, that I believe they even used the phrase that uh, the tradition could be uh, recovering its rights within the church as if tradition had lost its rights in the church. Um, I'm just treating it like a How privilege. How can Catholic tradition about. lose its rights in the Catholic Church? You're right. You're right. The, the, the implication there is not good. You're absolutely right, Tom. I'm glad you caught that. And by the way, when I say that we recognize we have the right to the traditional Mass, just as every Catholic has a birthright to Catholic tradition, we have an obligation to uphold it. We don't have, you know, when you have a right, you can say, well, I won't price my rights. But you have more than a right to the traditional Mass. You have an obligation to live for it and to die for it. You have an obligation to defend it. And if that's an obligation on the part of you and on the part of me as baptized Catholics, imagine what the obligation is on the part of any pope or bishop or priest, right? Any, any right is, is far surpassed by the obligation they have to protect this with their very lives. Traditionis. Custodes, indeed, right? <laughs> he entitles the motu proprio, in which he actually starts the machinerian process to begin once again to try to uh, basically sp- spray a roundup on all the traditional <laughs> the use of the traditional mass throughout the church. You know, um, I mean, it, it's uh, it's outrageous. He says, by the way, at the end of his letter, that. Uh, he tells the bishops that they have to proceed according to two principles. We're going to see what he says here in the practical order about what these bishops are supposed to do. But he said there are two principles. He uses the word chiefly dictated by two principles. So the way they proceed now in their diocese, he says, is chiefly dictated by two principles. So he says, the one hand is to provide for the good of those who are, get this, rooted in the previous form of celebration and need to return in due time to the Roman rite promulgated by Saints Paul VI and John Paul II. So you see what he's saying here. The first thing you have to, the, the first consideration, the first principle he gives is you have to provide for those who are now attached to the to the um, 1962 Latin liturgy, but they they need to return in due time to the new Mass, okay? So his point is very clear here. You bishops, you have to consider those who are going to the Latin Mass and how you're going to get them back into the fold of the new Mass. This is the objective. This is the purpose of it all, right? And he says the other thing the bishops have to consider a principle is that uh, a matter of the erection of new personal parishes, parishes tied more to the desire and wishes of individual priests than to the real need of the holy people of God. So he says, he's talking about those who are already attending the, uh, the Missal of 1962, and um, the question of any new groups that they're called upon. So when you uh, when you look upon the uh, when you look at this actual motu proprio here, and you see the revisions he's made here. Again, he's talking totally like a modernist. He says, "I now desire with this apostolic letter." to press on ever more in the constant search for ecclesial communion. As other church, it's the church in search. That's what they are, the church in search. They're, they're constantly searching, he says, for ecclesial communion, which is an, already an admission that they have no unity, that they have no unity 
and they're constantly striving to, to gain unity, right? Working toward unity. Again, the implication that the Catholic Church or Francis's Novosoro Church is just one more religious body which is striving with all the others to kind of come together and uh, uh, overcome their divisions and be united. Now, that's not the Catholic Church talking. The Catholic Church never talks like that because it says the Catholic Church is one holy Catholic and apostolic always and never loses that. Um, Francis has lost that, clearly. <laughs> and, uh, but you look at Article 1. These are the actual provisions that he makes now by this motto proprio as to what he wants these bishops to do. Article 1 he repeats that idea I mentioned before. The liturgical books promulgated by St. Paul VI and St. John Paul II, it's hard for me to say that, in conformity with the decrees of Vatican Council II, are the unique expression of the Lex Orandi of the Roman Rite. We've already talked about the significance of that. Again, don't let me forget to go to Cardinal Ottaviani and read what he says and why this proves he was right. Article 2 says, it belongs to the diocesan bishop as moderator, promoter, and guardian of the whole liturgical life of the particular church entrusted to him to regulate the liturgical celebrations of his diocese. Now again, again, we see the Novus Ordo here. The bishop is the one who regulates liturgical celebrations in his diocese. The idea of the universal church and the unity of the universal church in her worship, they've already abandoned that idea entirely. Now the bishop is the regulator. Therefore, it is his exclusive competence to authorize the use of the 1962 Roman Missal in his diocese according to the guidelines of the Apostolic See. Okay, so now he's shifting it onto the bishops to have to decide this. Article 3. The bishop of the diocese in which until now there exist one or more groups that celebrate according to the Missal antecedent to the reform of 1970. So now he's going to give a series of instructions to the bishops in the dioceses who already have Latin mass groups. He said the bishop is to determine that these groups do not deny the validity and the legitimacy of the liturgical reform dictated by Vatican Council II and the Magisterium of the Supreme Pontiffs. So, number one, the bishops must make sure that everyone who goes is going to the 1962 Latin liturgy in, his, in their dioceses, accept the validity and legitimacy, legitimacy of the new Mass dictated by Vatican II. And that's the word, dictated by Vatican II. And also paragraph two, the bishop is to designate one or more locations where the faithful adherents of these groups may gather for the Eucharistic celebration, not, however, in the parochial churches, that means parish churches, and without the erection of new personal parishes. So the bishop now is going to have to decide where these Latin mass groups are going to meet. They may not meet in any of the parish churches, nor may the bishop set up any new personal parishes for them. Where are they going to go? I guess the bishop will have to figure out where they're going to go, right? They've been excluded from any parish in the diocese, right? Any parish church of the diocese. Uh, paragraph 3. The bishop is to establish at the designated locations the days on which Eucharistic celebrations are permitted using the Roman Missal promulgated by St. John the Twenty-Third in 1962. In these celebrations, the readings are proclaimed in the vernacular language using translations of the sacred scripture approved for liturgical use by the respective Episcopal conferences. So here, in number three, <coughs> he says not only does the bishop have to determine where they're allowed to meet, <coughs> not on any parish grounds, really, uh, but when, on what days they're allowed to have that liturgy. Assuming it's not going to be a Sunday, right? And when are they going to be allowed to have this, this missile of John Paul, uh, John uh, the 23rd, offered at anywhere, at any time, in the, uh, within 
these dioceses. <clears throat> the bishop will decide that. And um, also, there is a prescription in the same paragraph saying the, the readings of the epistle and gospel must be in the vernacular language. It doesn't say exclusively, but it implies that. And the translations must be those approved in use right now for liturgical use by the Episcopal conferences right now. So they are not to use the Douay Rims, as it were, okay, or former translations of the scriptures, according to that, anyway. And paragraph four, the bishop is to appoint a priest. Now this gets even more restrictive. He is to appoint a priest who, as delegate of the bishop, is entrusted with these celebrations and with the pastoral care of these groups of the faithful. So the people are not allowed to have a, you know, to say, we have a, a priest here who wants to offer the traditional Latin Mass for us. No, it's a matter of the bishop designated someone to do it. Now, what kind of a priest do you think he's going to send in to do that? He's kind of sent in basically as a, uh, as a, as a hitman, right? Essentially, uh, a terminator against the traditional. And to bring these people back to the, into the Novus Ordo celebrations. So the fact that the bishop is going to commission some clergyman that he's going to send in to care for these people is, again, a very, very dire, dire thing, which, again, you know, as you read this, you think more and more, this sounds like leftists. It sounds exactly like leftists trying to get absolute control. This priest should be suited for his responsibilities, skilled in the use of the Missale Romanum, antecedent to the reform of 1970, possess a knowledge of the Latin language, sufficient for a thorough comprehension of the rubrics and liturgical texts, and be animated by a lively pastoral charity and by a sense of ecclesial communion. Well, you know what that means. He's animated by a sense of, we have to be in union with the Novus Ordo. This is where he's coming from. This priest should have at heart not only the correct celebration of the liturgy, but also the pastoral and spiritual care of the faithful. And we know what that Francis means by that. Paragraph 5. To proceed suitably to verify that the parishes canonically erected for the benefit of these faithful are effective for their spiritual growth, and to determine whether or not to retain them. So again, the, uh, the bishops are individually given the power to decide whether or not they live or die, right? They can be abolished. Paragraph six, to take care, now here's, an, here's uh, another uh, sharp tooth here. The bishop is to take care not to authorize the establishment of new groups. So he's meant to, to absolutely control the existing groups and decide whether they should continue or not. But he should take care not to authorize the establishment of new groups. Uh, point blank, just like that. And so now, now Francis turns his attention to priests. And in Article 4 he says, Priests ordained after the publication of this motu proprio, who want to celebrate the 1962 Mass, should submit a formal request to the diocesan bishop who shall consult the apostolic see before granting this authorization. So, so a bishop receives a request from a, a priest, a, a clergyman ordained since uh, basically July 16, 2021, and this clergyman says, I want to, uh, you know, be allowed to use the Missal of John Paul, John, John the 23rd, 1962. Well, the bishop does not have the prerogative to authorize it, except he has to go to Rome. He has to appeal to Francis for permission to allow that individual priest even to use that. Talk about dictatorial control. I mean, here the dictatorship becomes complete, <laughs> you know. Um, one wonders about all this collegiality, one wonders about all this synodality, one wonders what happened to all this anti-clericalism that Francis is on the rampage against, right? All of a sudden he has become the apotheosis of 
clericalism in all of this and anti-synodality. He's not consulting the people, right? That's what synodality is all about, right? That's true. Yeah. Oh, no. No, no, no. It's because the people have spoken that he wants to crush them. It's precisely that. Reminds me of what happened in, uh, in San Diego back in the, um, well, back in the uh, late 1980s. There was a, a Latin mass group that had been authorized by one of the bishops of San Diego to meet at the mausoleum. And uh, there were literally hundreds of people there, many of them uh, in young families. And they had first communions and they had marriages and they were thriving there. Um, I mean, I imagine a lot of the Nova Soto parishes were moribund. And this, this 1962 uh, special permission uh, liturgy was thriving. Uh, people were flocking to it. And um, the new bishop that came in, Bishop Brahm, um, suddenly lowered the boom on them and said, no more marriages, no more First Communions, no more funerals. You can't have any parish life. He wasn't going to, to stop the 1962 liturgy entirely, but any parish life associated with it, he wanted. He was, it was absolutely saying, no, no more. And so there was a, quite, a, quite a reaction among the people. And um, they let Bishop Ram know that they were really hurt by this and offended by it. So he sent a, a member of the clergy of the diocese to meet with them. And at one point there was a woman who stood up and, and said, uh, Father, please tell Bishop Brahm that, uh, I mean, this, this, is, this, that this community is thriving. We have hundreds of people, many of them young children, who are very enthusiastic in their faith, young people, you know, who have vocations, and, and, uh, and their young families with a very bright future are very enthusiastic about this. And the priest said to her, you don't understand. And she said, uh, well, tell them about all the First Communions. We have all these dozens of First Communions every year, and it's, so, it's just wonderful Catholic life and very inspiring. And the priest said, you don't understand. And she said, well, tell them about the marriages, the marriages that are, that are taking place there and just how devout everybody is and how beautiful these marriages are and how, how solid they are, you know, in spite of all of the marriage annulments. These are solid, real Catholic marriages. And he said, you don't understand. It's because of all that that Bishop Brahm has to shut that down. It's because it is thriving. You understand my point? This is their problem. They want to shut down Catholicism, is what they really want to do. That was back in the late 1980s. <clears throat> if you'll tolerate my going out here and just finishing up these articles here. Um, he's talking about individual priests, right? Now, in Article 5, he says, Priests who already celebrate according to the 1962 Missal now have to request permission from the diocesan bishop, the authorization to continue. Yeah. So this has to do, by the way, so far, with only Novus Ordo clergymen within their diocese. This has to do with diocesan clergy. Okay. Now in Article 6, he switches to the very things that would concern Fraternity of St. Peter, and Institute of Christ the King, the institutes and congregations, right, which uh, want to use as a body the 1962 Latin Mass. Article 6 says, institutes of consecrated life and societies of apostolic life erected by the Pontifical Commission Ecclesia Dei fall under the competence of the Congregation for Institutes of Consecrated Life and Societies for Apostolic Life. Now, this is a little anomalous, I think, um, uh, because these uh, fall under the congregation in Rome for institutes of consecrated life, and uh, so that's what is going to govern them. Does that mean that the local bishop is still needed to authorize them? I believe so, yes. The, the local bishop decides whether they can operate within, within his diocese, right? But they're also subject to superiors, and they're subject to this congregation, right? So evidently they're going to not only need the permission from the local bishop to operate within these dioceses, 
but they're also going to need to uh, hearken to the voice, whatever the voice is coming from this Congregation for Institutes of Consecrated Life, which also is going to have to, uh, shall we say, regulate them, right? In Article 7, the Congregation for Divine Worship and the Discipline of the Sacraments and the Congregation for Institutes of Consecrated Life and Societies of Apostolic Life, for matters of their particular competence, exercise the authority of the Holy See with the respect to the observance of these provisions. So these, ins these institutes are actually kind of subject to a, a twofold, well, kind of almost like a threefold uh, regulation from the local bishop of a diocese, from the congregation, and Francis himself. Um, no wonder they're, they're, they're feeling the heat. No wonder they're, they're feeling that they're being smothered or in danger of being smothered. It's exactly what the point is, what they're trying to do to them. And finally, Article 8. Previous norms, instructions, permissions, and customs that do not conform to the provisions of the present motu proprio are abrogated. So he just basically wiped out any, any vestiges, really, of uh, Samorum Pontificum and, his, and Benedict's extraordinary form, right? Um, there really is no extraordinary form anymore because, well, what was the so-called extraordinary form, the 1962 Missal, no longer expresses the lexerandi of the Roman Rite. You know? And, uh, Tom, I mean, I know I've been going on and on here, but I hope, I hope you can tolerate me, uh, since you asked for my thoughts on the subject, <laughs> just pointing out the significance of what Francis has, has written here. Mm -hmm. Uh, is it a nuclear bomb? It's sort of like uh, it's sort of like the Nagasaki after the Hiroshima. The bomb went off in Hiroshima, or Hiroshima, as some sell it, so there's Hiroshima, and another bomb followed in Nagasaki. Okay, and this is not the first nuclear bomb. This is the you might know, say the second nuclear bomb. Uh, the first nuclear bomb was the uh, attempt to obliterate the traditional mass entirely. It failed. This is the second attempt. This is Francis is now setting up another nuclear bomb. And the, the point is to get everybody into the Novus Ordo or everybody out in the streets, one or the other. Get, get them out, uh, force them into quote-unquote schism, uh, although he's the schismatic. Um, but... You know, when it, when it comes to the, um, the words of Cardinal Ottaviani, I, I think these are extremely uh, telling, telling words that Francis himself is basically ratifying before our very eyes today. Um, in his letter with Cardinal Bacci to Paul VI, <laughs> Um, Cardinal Ottaviani was talking about uh, the, the origins of the Novus Ordo, which had not yet been imposed, okay? He says uh, that in 1967, the normative mass was presented in the Sistine Chapel, actually by none other than uh, Monsignor Annibale Bonini, the principal architect of the new Mass, right? And the Episcopal Synod called in Rome, was called upon to pass judgment on that experimental celebration. I think it was in October, September, I have to go back and check. It was the autumn of 1967. And the result of that was actually a rejection. There were 187 voting bishops present or prelates present, and 43 of them voted, this is not pleasing, and 62, uh, juxta modem, which said there are elements of it which basically we like, but we, we don't accept the whole thing. Uh, we reject the thing as a whole. So you're talking about a total of 105 out of 187 bishops, okay? Um, so, the, uh, the press actually talked about the refusal of the so-called normative mass. But uh, later on, Paul VI 
proposed exactly that same normative mass that had been rejected in that form, and he began to refer to it now as uh, what he intended to put into law, what he intended to introduce as the new mass. And Cardinal um, Atavis and he said that uh, what Paul VI proposed to uh, basically introduce into law as the new mass of the Roman Rite was identical in substance to the, uh, the normative mass that had been re rejected. So there wasn't even an attempt to reform it. It was an insult, really, I think. It would sound insulting. So Cardinal Ottaviani explains in his letter that this normative mass was rejected by the Synod of Bishops. He says, now it's reintroduced and imposed as the Novus Ordo Mise, the new order of mass was in substance rejected by the Synod of Bishops, was never submitted to the collegial judgment of the Episcopal Conferences, nor have the people, least of all in mission lands, ever asked for any reform of Holy Mass whatsoever. One fails to comprehend the motives behind the new legislation, which overthrows a tradition unchanged in the Church since the 4th and 5th centuries, as the Apostolic Constitution itself acknowledges. As no popular demand exists to support this reform, it appears devoid of any logical grounds to justify it and makes it acceptable and make it acceptable to the Catholic people. He said there's nothing to justify this or make it acceptable to the Catholic people. So this is the voice of Cardinal Ottaviani and Cardinal Abacci, and actually 40 Roman theologians from the universities of Rome. And uh, they were actually... Uh, giving the lie to the whole idea of this collegiality and synodality business of Francis even today. But there was no cry of the people for this. This is a pure fabrication. This is, well, he didn't say it, but it's the work of revolutionary modernists in the church have taken it upon themselves to create this monster in their laboratory. Carlo Taviani, and again, if I may quote what he says here, and I think it's important for us all to remember what he said because Francis is saying he was right. Carlo Taviani says, an attentive examination of the Novus Ordo reveals changes of such magnitude as to justify in themselves the judgment already made with regard to this normative mass. Both have in many points every possibility of satisfying the most modernist of Protestants. As Carlo Taviani says, I mean, it was prophetic, really, what he said. Both the normative mass, which the Episcopal Synod of Rome rejected, and the Novus Ordo Misse, have in many points every possibility of satisfying the most modernist of Protestants. So, you see, he knew exactly what he was looking at. He goes on to talk about the definition of the mass, the new mass. It's quoted here, the Lord's Supper or Mass is a sacred meeting or assembly of the people of God, met together under the presidency of the priest to celebrate the memorial of the Lord. Thus the promise of Christ, where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them, is eminently true of the local community in the church. Now this is pure Protestantism. This is not the Catholic Mass. And Cardinal Ottaviani cites that right at the beginning. He uses that as exhibit A, why this is not a Catholic form of worship. Okay. And he goes on and explains how defective this is. He goes on then, and I'm just jumping through this now, just taking excerpts. I recommend to all of our people to read this and have your children read it too because they need to understand. He talks about the presentation of the ends or the purposes of the Mass. He says, with regard to the ultimate end, this is that of the sacrifice of praise to the adoration to the most holy trinity according to the explicit declaration of Christ in the primary purpose of his very incarnation. Coming into the world, he saith, Sacrifice and oblation, thou wouldst not but a body thou hast fitted me. But Christ has come, and he's come to offer the ultimate sacrifice in praise and adoration of the Father. And uh, according to Cardinal Ottaviani, this end has disappeared from the offertory. And 
with the disappearance of the prayer Sushepe Sancta Trinitas, from the end of the Mass with the omission of the Placia Tibi Sancta Trinitas, Placia Tibi Sancta Trinitas, and from the preface, which on Sunday will no longer be that of the Most Holy Trinity, as this preface will be reserved only to the Feast of the Trinity, and so in future will be heard but once a year. His point that, is that the ultimate end of the Mass which is the glorification of the Blessed Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, has essentially vanished with the elimination of these prayers. Then he talks about the ordinary end. He says the ordinary end, this is the propitiatory sacrifice. It too has been deviated from. For instead of putting the stress on the remission of sins of the living and the dead, it lays emphasis on the nourishment and sanctification of those present. He goes on to say, once you have removed these cornerstones, or keystones as he calls them, having removed the keystone, the reformers have had to put up scaffolding, suppressing the real ends, and they have to substitute fictitious ends of their own, leading to gestures intended to stress to union of priest and faithful, and of the faithful among themselves offerings for the poor and for the church superimposed upon the offering of the host to be immolated. There is a danger that the uniqueness of this offering will become blurred, so that participation in the immolation of the victim comes to resemble merely a philanthropic meeting or a charity banquet. Again, you know, you hear Francis in his letter, talking about how he doesn't approve of disorder, the dis disorder caused by the 1962 Latin Mass, or disorder in the, in the New Liturgies either. He's against it. But you see his liturgical celebrations in Buenos Aires, the, the, the wild parties he's throwing with the gigantic puppets and the clapping and the, the dancing, and he's against disorder now. <coughs> I'm sorry, but it doesn't ring true. It rings very hollow. And it's exactly, Francis wants the liturgy to be a party. As he says, a philanthropical meeting or a charity banquet. Again, Cardinal Ottaviano saw it coming. He says, the reason for this non-explicitness concerning the, the sacrifice is quite simply that the real presence has been removed from the central position which it occupied so resplendently in the former Eucharistic liturgy. There is but a single reference to the real presence, a quotation, a footnote from the Council of Trent, a footnote. And again, the context is that of nourishment. Now, at the time of Cardinal Ottaviani's uh, writing this, I don't know if he foresaw the tabernacles being taken away and disappearing. Maybe he foresaw that indeed, a separation of the tabernacle and the altar. But he makes it very clear that this is an attack on the very concept of the real presence of Christ. He says, all these things only serve to emphasize how outrageously faith in the dogma of the real presence is implicitly repudiated. And then you go to hand communion, and you see all the other things that followed. And you see that that's exactly what they're getting at. A rejection of the doctrine of the real presence. He goes on to talk about the priest being merely a presider. And the people basically being the ones who carry out the function. And uh, I'm going to close with uh, something toward the end. Toward the end of his statement. But I think it, it winds it up so perfectly. Summarizes so perfectly what he saw in this new order, liturgy, that Francis is determined to vaccinate everybody with. Um, this uh, death liturgy, we may call it. From the outset, therefore, the new rite is launched as pluralistic and experimental. Bound in time and space, bound to time and space, unity of worship thus swept away for good and all, what will become of that unity of faith that went with it? 
and which we were always told was to be defended without compromise. It is evident that the Novus Ordo has no intention of presenting the faith as taught by the Council of Trent, to which nonetheless the Catholic conscience is bound forever. With the promulgation of the Novus Ordo, the loyal Catholic is thus faced with a most tragic alternative. Did you hear that? And here we are, and here we are, Francis, in his motu proprio. The faithful, the loyal Catholic, is the one presented with the tragic alternative. That is what Francis is trying to impose on everyone. Right? So, in any case, uh, Tom, I, I think it's important to look at this motu proprio in its historical context, not in its hysterical context. And uh, to see that this is simply a matter of them trying now to follow through to complete Vatican II and the, the liturgy of Vatican II, the Mass, right? And to impose it on all and to ban those who would be faithful and loyal Catholics, to banish them altogether uh, into what they consider the exterior darkness, okay? To treat them as though they were the unvaccinated, as it were, right? <laughs> Um, so in any case, uh, I'm sure you have many other questions to ask. No, not at all. But I, thank I, you. I don't know that uh, we have time for them right now. No, that's great, Father. Thank you for uh, taking the time to go through all of that. And we had a lot of uh, concerned, very concerned viewers who were uh, requesting your comments on it. So you have uh, you provided a lot of information for a lot of notes here, so that's great. Thank you for that. But well, I, guess... I went on uh, some length. I'm sorry. Most of it was presenting Francis's letter the actual motu proprio and Colonel Ottaviani's remarks. I hope people forgive me for going on. But there's been an enormous amount of, uh, of interest in it. Interest and uh, many commentaries. Yes, yeah. And then uh, um, perhaps on a future program, Father, we can cover the uh, Society of St. Pius X's response to this. I know that was something mm. that, uh, that, that we had mentioned um, mm. and also some other angles of this. So uh, perhaps we are not done with this yet. But um, just to... Uh, I know, Father, there, there were at least um, a couple of viewers who uh, just e emailed and wanted to be sure that uh, with this motu proprio of Francis that you were still going to be offering the traditional Latin Mass here at Immaculate Conception and that they would still have access oh, to it there. Oh, absolutely. We, we, were offering the, we were offering the Mass precisely because um, uh, it is not only a right but a duty of ours to do so. And the, it is a right and the duty of the people to have it and to attend it and to worship at it. Mm -hmm. And that's why we're, you know, from the day we were ordained, traveling far and wide to answer the call for those who realized that it's not a privilege, it's a right of theirs and a duty of theirs mm -hmm. uh, to fulfill. So, um, yes, we, we've never, ever wavered from uh, uh, our understanding that it is a right and a duty of Catholics to hold the fast to this Mass. And... Um, we will never concede that it is a privilege granted by any any power, uh, whether it claimed to be of heaven or of earth. Uh, it is given by God, right? It is a right solemnly bestowed on us by God, That's by right. our baptism. Yep, absolutely. And Father, thanks for being here tonight. Appreciate your time. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you, Tom. Yep. God bless you all. Yep. Thanks to all of our viewers for watching this episode of What Catholics Believe. Until next time, we ask that you all remember the words of Our Lady at Fatima, to consecrate yourself and your families to the Immaculate Heart of Mary, and to pray and do penance. Thank you, and God bless you.